everybody. Welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast. Robbie here. And in this episode, I'm joined by Neil McKinnon. Neil McKinnon describes himself as a curious human, and his curiosity has guided him through a remarkable career in which he has been immersed in creative projects, surrounded by creative people, and focused on creative potential. Crucially, he has also spent a great deal of his life listening and being truly present to what has occurred around him, and these qualities aided a sense of catharsis and newfound aliveness when he first experienced coaching. Neil, I'm very excited to say, is one of the new hosts for the Coach's Journey podcast. In this episode, he gets to the heart of why coaching has become such a prominent focus of his life, a life in which he has worked as a professional musician, a creative producer for Europe's largest centre for the arts, and now as a faculty member for the Academy of Executive Coaching. He explains how skillful coaches helped him access the power and potential of coaching to overcome profound challenges in his work and how coaching appealed to his sense of adventure and his disposition as a man fascinated by all industries, all people, and all walks of life. In this episode, we also talk about how to choose a coaching organization to train with, the hidden messages that lie within our resistance to coaching, building autonomy through focusing on our locus of control, the profound potency of core coaching competencies, and coaching as a relational business in which your network really matters. Neil, who has his own podcast called Creative Practice, which I've been a guest on as we discuss, also speaks to the deeper work of coaching and the change that becomes possible when we find the courage to step into our shadow. So as I said, Neil is uh, one of the new team of hosts for the Coach's Journey podcast. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, check out the uh, December 2023 episode, episode number 56, where all the new team of hosts joins us. Um, But in short, it's a part of me finding a way for the coach's journey to hopefully reach new people, go into new strengths in a new chapter and, and, you know, ultimately develop into the, the, the fullness of its potential. Um, and I'm super excited that, that, that Neil is one of the team. Um, if you listen to that episode, you'll, you'll find out how the other members are and how it's going to work over the course of 2024 is we'll be going two episodes a month. And for the first few months, each, the, likely the first episode each month will be me interviewing one of the new hosts, followed by them interviewing an amazing guest. And we've got an amazing guest coming up in the second half of January, interviewed by Neil. Um, and if you, you might listen to that episode or you might listen to this conversation with Neil and, and you might, um, you might think that you'd love to be part of a community of coaches like the new hosts. And if you would like to do that, as you'll hear many of them, perhaps all of them talk about in the interviews I do with them, the Coaches Journey community has been a part of each of their journeys. Um, so if you want to join a community of coaches, which includes some of, still includes some of the, the host team and also other amazing coaches like them, then you might want to go to thecoachesjourney.com slash community. The Coaches Journey community is my flexible, affordable group coaching program for coaches it's uh, my aim is to bring all the all the things I've learned over many years of interviewing coaches here, of supporting coaches um, to grow and develop their businesses, and growing and developing my own um, to to create thriving businesses. That's that's my aim, and to help people thrive as as people as they do that. Um, but more than that, the coaches journey community has become something really magical and um, very meaningful to everybody who's been a part of it. It's one of the the, 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 the coaching calls that are part of it. The group coaching calls are, are some of the the things that light up my month the most. Um, and how it works is that uh, there are different levels of membership, which you can pay different amounts of money for, and you come to a certain number for each membership of group coaching calls each year. And then if you are a full member, you also get get one-to-one time with me too. Um, it's been a wonderful place to do work with many coaches over the years. It's where I bring my freshest thinking on coaching and develop my freshest thinking on coaching. And I'd love to have you as part of it if you want your coaching business to thrive more in 2024 and you want to thrive as a person while you do it and you want to be connected to some amazing coaches like Neil um, while you're on those calls. 
You might also be interested in becoming a supporter of the podcast. Um, that's where you give a small amount of money every month uh, to, to help the podcast grow, reach new people, um, and and have exciting new things happen, like two episodes a month in 2024. Um, you can find out more about the Coach's Journey community at thecoachesjourney.com slash community, and you can sign up to be a community member or a, or a supporter at patreon.com slash thecoachesjourney. There's also links wherever you listen um, to your podcast in the show notes. And while I'm here, I just want to say a thank you to everybody who's been a supporter or member over the years, but particularly to Alex Whitten, David Norris, Joey Owen, Ruth Saville, and Jessica Jem for your ongoing support. So I'm super excited to introduce you to Neil. Um, one of the things I admire most about Neil uh, is is the precision, the rigor, uh, the attention to detail, uh, and the dedication that he brings to his his work. That meant that he, when he um, caught up with our conversation here, noticed some of the things that he'd said that weren't quite right, where he cor- corrects himself partway through in terms of when he started his coaching or the big life events that were going on. Um, I, I, I'm sure you'll barely notice those, but you will hear Neil correcting them or, at, at different times in the conversation. Conversation. And one of the things I'm super excited about is, uh, well, one of the things that that made me think is of all the times over the years that I must have said things that didn't make sense. Um, so um, um, I'm sorry about those for all the times they caused confusion. Had a great one in a 12 minute method podcast episode uh, where I I got I defined um, love and will as Sagioli or Miles Downey um, define them only to define them the wrong way around. Uh, and I have an excuse in the 12 minute method podcast, which is uh, that it's it's all in one take. Less so in the Coach's Journey podcast, and hopefully having people like Neil on board to bring that precision and rigor will mean we'll make fewer of those mistakes in future. Um, but mostly today, I'm just super excited to um, introduce you to Neil. Um, it's been a, such a privilege to uh, get to know Neil over the years. Such a pleasure to have him on board for this show um, now for this year, and, and I'm really looking forward to, to, to being a listener for the episodes that that he um, he hosts later in the year. Um, but mostly... Uh, I'm just really grateful that he's a part of the coaching industry. I feel like he brings, like I said, amazing things, and you'll get a sense of what those things are over the course of this conversation between me and Neil McKinnon. Neil McKinnon, welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast. Thank you, Robbie. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's it's very fun. Um, You were telling me just before that this is actually your first time being interviewed on a podcast. Um, yes. So that feels like a real, genuinely feels like an absolute privilege. I'm so glad um, that I get to be the person to do that with you. Um, and also because there's a little echo, because you weren't quite the first person to have to interview me on a podcast, but you pretty much were. Like I did one that was like, a, I'm pretty sure it was the second one when I appeared on your podcast, Creative Practice. And the first one might have been one in between that I've forgotten, or another one happened around the same time. But I basically manifested as the only way I ever manifest things is by complaining really loudly about something to somebody and then the thing happens and I'm like maybe I created that thing I complained about not never getting asked to be on podcasts by anyone and then you asked me on your podcast just after I'd picked myself to be on someone else's podcast so that's why I don't quite hear my psychology at work here I don't quite count that other one but you just invited me spontaneously Um, and so it's great that we will it's great that I get to return the favor somewhat (laughs) now um and I was remembering, thinking about that interview and remembering that I think potentially Alex Swallow, who's also now part of the team of hosts on The Coach's Journey, that may have been the first time that he came across you because he definitely listened to that one. Because I remember him saying, um, I love how you just kept discovering that you were the same guy uh, across the course of that interview, which was by which he meant like, 
you know, we discovered that we liked Tim Ferriss and um, yeah. the Zanders and um, uh, that we'd both done the slow car, Tim Ferriss's slow carb diet for about 18 months yeah. and that kind of thing. So, uh, if listeners don't like that kind of chat, then, then probably switch off now. Uh, cause we're going to do loads more of that in the next hour or two. Um, and I was actually thinking, you know, maybe we'll get into this as we go, but there's, there's, I think there's more echoes. Maybe we did get into these on creative practice, but there's more echoes, right? Um, that we might get into, it's particularly the, the work you were doing in the arts mm. at, at, before you left. I, I was, you know, thinking about this conversation and researching it and, and, and that last job title you had, which I think was something like, head of artistic rentals at the South Bank Centre. Well, that was one of the roles you had. Yeah. Really, that would have been the role that I, that would have been a role that I would have got to if I had really persisted, potentially. Like that was mm -hmm. the kind of one of the parts of work that I did when I worked in the arts. So yeah, looking forward to getting into all of that and much more. But Neil, first, first question. It's not the question we normally ask at this stage. We'll ask that in a minute. Do you remember the first ever whisper of, of you potentially appearing on this podcast? Do you remember what that was? First ever whisper of me potentially appearing on this podcast. If my memory serves me right, and I'm digging back there, that's the that's the pause, the the sort of thinking slow pause. Is I asked you, I wrote you an email. Uh, now I don't remember when, but it is. It was the twenty seventh of November, twenty twenty. <laughs> which strongly suggests that you might have a copy of that email. Mm, I do. It was a great, like you made a great suggestion. Um, and I, it, which was essentially, um, it was, you, you, you did a very clever thing. You asked me to be on your show and then you made the suggestion in the same email, which would meant that I was like very well disposed to the suggestion. Um, but because we were about to have our first child, I'd back, I'd like backed up episodes into the spring of the following year. And that was my reason for, for pausing and not saying yes to it. But it was a great idea. Essentially, the idea was I kneel them at the beginning of my journey as a coach. And I wondered if doing an episode with someone who's in the middle of their training, followed maybe by revisiting that later would be interesting. And as I read that back today, to remind myself exactly what you said, I was like, that would have been really interesting. Hmm. like what a shame that we didn't do that because now you're too successful to really be that <laughs> be that be that beginner person uh but it's like it it does i think it also so i think it was a great idea and i'm glad that we're finally having this conversation but also i think it speaks a little to the beginnings of why it was important to have other hosts on board for the podcast hmm. because it just increases the capacity because one of the things was that's two episodes of the show when there aren't many episodes that go out and now there'll be more i think that'll be interesting but yes yeah, so i'm glad we're finally doing it and at some point we'll need to do that thing that you said um pick someone at that stage and then speak to them later because i think that's a it's just like it does give us it gives some kind of perspective i, yeah. I wonder if there's anything you can say about you know we can't quite do it now because you can only do it looking back from here but about what it was like as you were stepping into the training that had you making that suggestion yeah. So in that moment, I, of course, didn't know what I didn't know about training and about the journey of being a coach. And so what I notice when you share the date and the language I used about being at the beginning of my journey is I was at the beginning of a another phase of the journey which was studying with the Academy of Executive Coaching and doing a, uh, at the time, four-month diploma 
um, in executive coaching, a professional qualification leading ultimately to accreditation. And part of what I discovered during that was actually the journey had been much longer and had started much earlier. And my genuine intent was with the ask to offer up something that I couldn't find, which was a jet, which was a, an honest articulation in real time of a coach stepping more fully into that being their primary mode of professional practice and um, sharing that in a way that was hopefully useful. So my experience of you that by that point was that you were a successful coach making a full-time living and that as I remember it all the um, experience I had of listening to the coach's journey episodes was of successful coaches pretty much making a full-time living or at least as full-time a living as they wanted to make from coaching and I felt there was an opportunity to use that platform to do almost like a a creative real-time experiment of this is what the experience of going through a significant body of education is like this is what the experience of stepping into the the start of setting up a business is like and um as much as might be useful sharing some of that yeah yeah and like you're just plotting out it'd be a, a very cool coach's journey mini series there right um wouldn't it and yeah i think you're right that that is what this show has been up to this point like pretty much by design you know the the kind of the what do you say the um i might have said this before i probably have on the show but you know the it was born essentially from from a bunch of conversations that I had as I was in about the stage you were at in 2020 when you were emailing me that, where I'd had a com I was doing some training, I'd had some conversations with people who had managed to make it work and regretted not recording them because it felt like that wasn't a resource that existed. And lots of other coaches were asking me essentially, I was just parroting the answers that people like Phil Bolton and Katrina Horry, who were in those early episodes, had, had yeah. given me. I was kept retelling those stories, which people have followed my work a lot. Well, this is pretty much all I do in, in my work, <laughs> retell other people's stories. Um, but that's okay. Um, and and so that was where it came from and continue has continued to um, in those first, whatever it is, four years. And I think that there is, it is in, interesting to think about what are the other resources that are still kind of absent mm. from from what's needed for coaches so, so if you were to i guess what you just described is so beautiful because it's about the real time liveness of it mm. that in some ways makes that um would make that such a compelling thing to listen to especially because i just noticed that, that there's a kind of creator's jeopardy in it because the person might do the training and then realize they hate coaching i mean probably yeah. not but like like that's part of what, what would be i think really interesting it would be as interesting to get somebody who did the training and decided not to use it because it was time to to use it as a leader or to uh you know or just they didn't like it in the end or that it was time to, they were having family changes or whatever it was there's lots of reasons i'm sure there are coaches that you've trained and trained with and same for me who haven't gone on to do what you've done with coaching or, or essentially what i've done with coaching which is make it full time um that's a long monologue wasn't it <laughs> but the question i want to ask is if you could take us back to that live experience, then can you, I mean, it, this may be an impossible ask, but can you give 
people who might be there, who might be in that kind of, I'm just thinking of starting my training. What can you remember of that, the, the liveness of that now that might be interesting? So at that point, I had chosen who I was going to train with. And I had a sense of, I had some sense of what that meant. Um, I chosen to take a rigorous and substantial course and it was self-funded. So I invested a significant amount of money in it. So my memory is I was taking the training quite seriously, hopefully seriously in the right way, uh, in as much as not holding it too tightly, but rather giving it due space and time as I moved closer to starting it. So my memory is I was spending quite a lot of time reading. Um, I had a sense that it was going to be necessary to set up practice clients. So I was beginning to think about whom I wanted to work with that would lead to me building the sort of business I wanted to build over the coming months and years. Um, and also thinking about, like, I knew the course I was doing would have a self-development element to it. So I was doing some thinking around, well, if that's going to be happening, if the processes are going to be supporting that, what do I want to get from that portion of it? Like, where do I want to set an ambition by the end of the course that I hope to meet through going through the course? I think the other thing to say that may well come up in other bits of our conversation today is, I guess everybody's situation is unique. And this was approximately seven months into the pandemic. And at least from my perspective, and, and I can only really speak from that, I didn't know what was happening as regards the ongoing health of my industry, which at the time was the creative industries and, and at, at that very time was more focused in the performing arts or, or had been for my entire career um, in, in the wider creative industries. And so there was a very clear present and acute economic imperative that I understood the business side of things. And I knew categorically that the course I was taking didn't attend to that part of coaching. And, and proudly so, they they focus on, on the art, practice, craft, and um, tools, skills, and many other things about coaching, which is more than enough for any one course. And so I was thinking, reading, and talking thinking and reading about and talking to people about the business of coaching. And indeed, that was part of the intent of getting in touch with you um, again, because we'd been, we'd been, we'd had some back and forth over the previous like 18 months. So I was alive to, uh, this is going to be uh, a way that I hopefully make um, my income. And I'd like to speak to some people that are doing that, as at least as far as I can tell successfully, to get a sense of 
the realities of that. I've been involved in the early stages of multiple businesses and um, I have a fairly pragmatic sense of what is necessary um, as regards getting something up and running. And so wanted to get more clarity on what that looked like as regards a coaching business. Yeah. Yeah. And that was our first ever conversation, I think, wasn't it on the phone? I remember where I was actually like in the in our old flat in London and it was a sunny day and, and we I, we did the phone because I was so zoomed out from the pandemic or maybe both of us were. And that was the conversation part of it. You were asking, like, I'm thinking of getting into this thing. Like, how practically does that work and how do people make yeah. it work? Um, yeah, I, I remember that. remember that well. Um, just to catch a couple of things there before we like, I want to do some rewinding because there's, there's lots, you, like you said, your story of coaching doesn't definitely doesn't begin in 2020. Um, but what, so for you, was there a, this, that particular transition where you were doing the coaching course, was that partly the way you told the story then it was almost like, it's partly because of the pandemic. It's like, what's going to happen to performing arts like who no one knows i mean still we don't know lots of in the uk at least it's kind of as far as i can tell from semi outside of it now you know like the, the repercussions of the pandemic are still being felt just like they are in professional sport and all kinds of places was that partly why this happened then i think partly it's not as big as a part it's not as big a part as it may initially seem i think there were other forces at play um as regards why I was stepping away from being as involved and as directly involved in the performing arts, which I'm happy to to talk further about. Um, I think what happened, what was more acutely caused by the pandemic was the um, the pace at which I worked on building a coaching business as opposed to moving more into consulting, which had been my initial intention. And indeed, in my first year of self-employment, whereas is where I made most of my money was consulting. Um, so I think the, the change was happening anyway in terms of a move away from the performing arts but the pandemic caused to expedite it yeah. yeah really interesting and yeah interesting the effects that it had on i like you know it's really interesting what you said about the building on the building the business was catalyzed by, by it more than that um two questions about just again from this idea that we're doing we're trying to do the thing that we probably should have done in 2020 right which is that episode live there and i want to show <laughs> i'm not gonna, not willing to let that go quite yet so the two questions I want to ask is, you said you did a lot of a lot of reading around that time. So are there were there any particular books that you read at that time that if you know if if the gift of that conversation that we didn't have would have been really helping somebody else also as they were choosing their course and then moving into it? What did you read about coaching at that time that you think ah I, I would want to help somebody else read that book if they were in the same place that I was? Yeah, and so I think probably at that time. Well, there was one book specifically about coaching that was actually suggested to me by Kate Reese, which is the Coach's Casebook. So that was led onto by this wonderful book by Alan de Baton. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. 
who wrote a job to love i believe that's the title and that's through the school of life and i'd become really interested in one of the central premises of that book which was there's a there's a an image fallacy with most jobs that what it looks like you do as that job is not actually what you spend much of your time doing and so a great example is a musician and for most people when they encounter a musician they're on stage they're the center of attention or at least part of what the center of attention is and they're having a great time performing music and of course that's absolutely part of the job and a considerably more um time consuming part of the job is the practice it takes in order to be in um the shape you need to be to do those performances and of course just, and so, just so people don't know because we might get to this you know that because you were a professional musician yeah 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 so way back earlier in my career um for an, a number of years i was a professional saxophone player and played flute and clarinet um so for anyone that knows the professional music circuit it's really common for um players to play multiple instruments in the wind and brass areas of um particularly content what we would call contemporary music so i was primarily a jazz musician and a pit musician so i played in backing bands and so mainly saxophone bit of flute and clarinet and and the other bits of that that were really present was a lot of travel a lot of time spent in different modes of transport an awful lot of time sat in hotels resting and being in a place that um you don't really know the area and you've got to be ready and available for the gig and so on and so forth so in some coaching work i was doing with kate reese i had asked her at the end of a session if there was anything she might recommend um as related to this because i was also keen on understanding beyond the practice of coaching which i'd already had a lot of experience from from an earlier training which we might come on to what like what else will i be doing and what frequently comes up in session what's the sort of stuff that you keep bumping into and she said actually there's this wonderful book that takes you through a um whole range of different client um bits of client material that are really common uh, and it's done very well by two incredibly experienced coaches and I'm blanking on their names um and so I was just sorry I was just googling that Neil if you saw me think it's it's Kim Morgan isn't it with it. with Jeff uh, Jeff Watts yes so Kim, for people who don't know Kim actually people who don't know Kate uh, who's Neil mentioned a couple of times. She's a wonderful coach um, who's also a client of mine. Her, she's also someone who's really excellent at writing testimonials so much so that I'm pretty sure her testimonial, despite the fact that we worked together in about 2017, is still on my website because it's, it's so, I like it so much. Um, amazing woman, does some great work on resilience amongst other things. Actually now also a coaching supervisor, if people mm-hmm. are interested in that. Um, and Kim Morgan was a guest on the podcast as well. People can um, scroll back through the episodes to find her. I can't remember the the episode name but we'll link to it in the show notes and we talk a bit about the coaching case book there but not much so so yeah you, uh, as you just said in that book did you so you got a real sense of what is the actual job like exactly 
Yeah, so that that was a big one. And the the other one that comes up, again, not one about coaching, and again, blanking on the names of the authors, is a book called Designing Your Life. And it's written by two specialists in design thinking who teach, I think, at Stanford. And essentially, that was about responsibility and agency, about uh, I mean, it's, it very much speaks and resonates with the Tim Ferriss four-hour work week approach, but is more methodical in taking one through how you might reimagine your life and put the building blocks in place to create that. So those had been foundational bits of reading I'd done in advance of the course, almost to set the scene for doing the course and in fact I actively held back on reading coaching books until the course started because I knew I'd be reading a bunch of them and so it did more um contextual stuff in advance yeah lovely what a great selection and then the other question I want to ask about as if we were in November 2020 is this would have been what I'd have asked then is well what are the if you if part of it was about self-development and setting intentions for that what are your intentions neil but now we have to ask what were your intentions neil and w- like what happened as because i think it is a really under a bit like i said about the what the creative tension that would be about having interviewing somebody at that stage not everyone who goes through a coaching training ends up being a professional coach i think part of that probably is because people come to the coaching training for all kinds of different reasons and for some people it's like the what the acceptable way of doing some pretty intense personal development work and so it's a kind of undersold bit of coaching training like when mike toller and i ran some for a for a consultancy a couple of years ago we we were really aware that actually great success for us running the training was that these people's lives changed like our lives changed when we trained as coaches and not just in for Mike and I, and for you, it was also uh, partly about what would our life would become and our work would become, but it wasn't just that. So what, what were the self-development areas or goals that you were looking at at that time? And, and how did that, how did those things pan out over the course of the training? So I think a, a deeper self-awareness and using a different modality to investigate that. And by that, I mean... What are the unconscious drivers that are working to cause me to behave in these ways? And how might I bring them more into consciousness and work with them intentionally um, to live a more balanced and fulfilling life? I think that was a big one. I think the other one was seeking to develop the skills and capacities to be more autonomous in the way I met my responsibilities. And specifically what I mean by that, and again, it comes back to money, is being able to step back into a place of, um, well, essentially self-employment or running my own business. And that felt like, a a profoundly important part of self-development for me i'd been enormously lucky over the previous really decade and a half 
to work in a variety of roles as an employee where I was afforded a high degree of autonomy and I had a fairly clear sense that I'd need to continue to be fairly lucky to move around and do different things and maintain that. And actually it was time for me to take back full autonomy as regards how I make sufficient money to meet my financial responsibilities. And it it felt like there was some developmental bits I had to attend to, to get to that place, to be, for example, confident enough to set forth setting up a business as a coach um, and, and looking at, well, what what's getting in the way of that? What's the obstacles? How do I um, navigate that obstacle, perhaps untangle some of it, maybe um, reduce some of it, uh, and maybe work out some of it that I just need to be present with um, as, as I kind of move to this next phase? Mm. Lovely, lovely. And I imagine we'll touch on some of those things that came out of that in, as the conversation goes on. Um, but, but so tell me, Neil, let's, let's do some rewinding. When did you first come across coaching? So there's a number of answers to that. The most, the clearest and cleanest one is 2012. And while I was at South Bank Centre, indeed. So I was at um, South Bank Centre in London, one of the largest art centres in Europe, for about 12 years. And I started in 2008 as a producer and worked in that role ultimately for about five years. And I'd been thoroughly enjoying the role of producer and had become increasingly aware that we were making lots of stuff, particularly in the um, performing arts field that was beginning and ending its life in those venues in London. And that not only was there an appetite to present that in other places from promoters and presenters in other parts of the world, but also there was various opportunities available to South Bank Centre if we did that, some financial, some relationship building, and so on and so forth. And I'd sought to set up a department or a department of one as it was then to support that, to, to take stuff out on tour, essentially, in different ways, not necessarily the traditional way of putting a bunch of people in a, a mode of transport and taking them, but all sorts of ways. And I got stuck. Um, my belief at the time was I got stuck as a result of a variety of external factors. And I had a boss for a period there who was a, a maternity cover called Richard Hawley, not the uh singer songwriter originating from Sheffield but um the magnificent arts administrator who uh for many years has been based in Birmingham and indeed runs a consulting firm out of there um at the moment and Richard is a Clore fellow Richard is a trained coach and Richard said to me one day you need to go and see a coach 
And my immediate reaction was, right, how is somebody that doesn't understand the complexities of the challenge I'm dealing with, probably doesn't have the sort of awareness I have about the industry that I'm selling into and all these other kind of things that I was throwing into my judgment, how, how is that? How is anybody possibly going to help me with something as complex as this? And Richard said to me, I think you need to go and see a coach. Right. And I trusted, I still do trust Richard. So he gave me the names of um, three people and their websites. I checked them out and decided to meet uh, with one of them for a session to see how it goes. And Do you remember, Neil, how you chose that one? Yeah, I remember... I remember reading the, the each of the three had websites and I remember reading them and something about um it's so that the coach I ended up seeing and working with over the next few months is a woman called Gaylene Gold who was a phenomenal coach I I don't know how much coaching she does now one to one um Gaylene does many incredible things indeed was a guest on creative practice the podcast i ran for a while um is a writer a producer of tv um was in a series of very senior roles in the arts um and an all-round um in incredibly positive um wise and um supportive force in the creative industries at large yeah i remember um so i, I- I met Gaylene. I think the only time I actually met, met Gaylene in person, she came and gave a talk to emerging leaders on a CLAW leadership program course when I was there. And rarely for me, I was actually at a course. So here's a great example of that kind of job thing you were talking about before. As a participant on CLAW course, you get to see Robbie having like a lot of fun sitting in on, on a week long, like a day or two days of a week long emerging leaders course. The rest of the time, I just fill in spreadsheets, check that people have sent the right emails at the right times and all that, all that kind of thing. But I had a wonderful time. And I, I remember, I think she, she gave like a kind of fireside talk. Which I just remember being really amazing and then i loved it because it was a good i think if she listens to this gaylene this may be a false memory i don't know but i think she at the end was like was that any good and i was like yes yes it was really excellent at least that's what i thought inside and i found it really really inspiring to get inside her head and yeah so if you want to if people want to get a sense of that they can listen to the interview you did with her on on creative practice yeah absolutely and i hope they can i haven't been on her website in a few months but i hope they can also access the thing that really spoke to me and got me to the first meeting with her which is her writing which resonates and sings with such authenticity and power it's hard not to be drawn in to... Was this was this fiction? Because I know she writes fiction no, or non-fiction. It, it, or... it wasn't. It was um, it was a a blog, as I remember it, that I read at the time. Um, and at the time, I think Gaylene was alongside her coaching was focusing quite a lot on um, writing, and that so that got me into the meeting with her. And, and let's just slow down on this. I think this is interesting. Just yeah. like there's a. Like sometimes people say, perhaps people includes me, 
uh, that there's no point in having a website. I don't think I ever say that, but some coaches would say that you don't need a website, but there is a great reason to have a website, which is for when people Google you, <laughs> you need them to be able to get on the website and then email you essentially. Like that was, I think that's the like number one function. But the other is these days I try and always, I actually try and step out. If I ever know that, that someone's shopping around for coaches, I really try and let them not shop around with me because it's like a real, can be a real waste of our time, partly because you know, I'm never the cheapest. <laughs> mm. And so it's, and I always take the longest to get stuff in the diary out of if they're trying to find three coaches. So I, I, I usually lose, um, but also it's like a lot of time for someone to invest with me. But, but if people are looking at websites, that's a real, like, that's a real kind of moment, isn't it? To like, think what, what is on there or what could be on here that will draw people in, in the way that Galen's writing drew you in to contact and schedule something with her um, and do you have any other thoughts about i guess what what about her writing it was it it was so the best available memory was it was the humanity of it and that i got a sense of a <clears throat> a real person and that and indeed and this may come up again in other ways i wasn't being sold to um there was an honest account of what's available and no more and no less clearly articulated in a personable um and yeah honest voice that that's my memory and that was certainly my experience um and it wasn't it wasn't promising me results <laughs> it was um sharing the, the process that's available and that still very much resonates with me and indeed um is is central to my core beliefs around coaching and, and was so, that you, you might have just said this neil and i might have just missed it but was that then what happened in the conversation as well like it was the writing wasn't promising results but then when you met galen it i'm guessing that it was in alignment with that it was yeah absolutely yeah it was very so I experienced Galen in all the good ways as a process focused facilitative coach. Um and by that I mean she as I remember it stayed true to relatively pure coaching and and essentially and skillfully and lovingly handed me back to myself at every available opportunity to do my thinking and untangle the bits of me that were holding the process back. And indeed, the emerging realisation over the body of sessions we did was, although there were external factors that were perhaps less than ideal, like the biggest obstacle was me 
and some of the ways I was behaving um, and approaching things and um, so on and so forth. And so, yeah, it it was, so her writing was congruent with her presence and um, approach as a coach. Yeah. It sounds like in those sessions, you know, there's, there's, there's shifts around mindset, there's shifts around locus of control. And I know you've thought about those and self-development and energy lots. Like, can you say anything more about either how that those ideas played out for you in that coaching that you did with Gaylene or how they've been important to you elsewhere? So in the coaching with Gaylene, it was around, and you've hit the nail on the head around the, the mindset shifts and the locus of control, that I was of a critical mindset about the context. And there were certain things that were gravity problems. So there were inalienable facts that I couldn't change. For example, um, the degree of funding for a new initiative, the the safety of, of um, tr- trying something that was exploratory and different um, in comparison to continuing what we'd done before. And then there was a whole other set of things that were as they were because of how I was approaching them. So, for example, one of the things that was within my locus of control was how I influenced and I had become somewhat fixedly focused on the outcomes I was getting from colleagues as relates to buy-in on this new initiative and frankly didn't until the support of Galen having a good look at myself have the emotional maturity or humility to step back and check in with how I was complicit in getting the results I didn't say I said I didn't want and that I needed to make some internal shifts to get some external results um so I think those were the kind of the main things that came out of it yeah so you did I know this story I don't quite remember if you just said it then you did several conversations with Gaylene over a period of of months at that point and then and then what happened so there was unquestionably a shift in things internally at South Bank there was a a happy coincidence and I'm not wholly confident how much I believe in coincidences that there was a growing appetite internally that we take things external so we take some of the work that we want to do to other places from a couple of senior stakeholders um and ultimately the Touring and Commissions Department got the funding necessary to have a role on a fixed term basis for two years to see if it was possible to make it sufficiently economically successful that it was sustainable. Um, and as as is right and proper, it was advertised as a as a role, and I applied for it and and got it. 
without question, the work I needed to do on myself to influence the creation of that role as much as possible was wholly facilitated by the coaching I received. And certainly the work I needed to do on myself to be ready to do a role like that was largely facilitated by the coaching. Um, and it allowed me to step into the thing I wanted to do and indeed go on to run that department ultimately for around five years and build it into a multi-person department um, and have a lot of fun and adventures along the way going around the world with all sorts of different uh, productions and festivals and performing arts um, shows and present them in yeah, a range of wonderful locations and with some amazing co-producing partners and build these relationships and reputation of the organization internationally and uh, make some money. Yeah. And is like I this is a this is great podcast content for listeners who are listening. There's a thing behind you which is says the Grand Touring. Is that to do with that that period? I I've been on lots of calls with Neil and I've always wanted him to ask him what this thing behind him is. It's funnily enough, it's not. It's a, a picture my wife bought because she thought I'd like it because I'm sort of fascinated by um, uh, the idea of grand adventures, big narrative arcs. So in fact, yeah, um, it doesn't. It looks like it's got like uh, spaceships or exactly. um, uh, yeah. missiles or something on it and planets. Um, it's a very cool image. Uh, we can like screen grab it or something maybe and put it in the show notes or people can find the YouTube, the video of this well, on YouTube at some point. Well, and I'll, we should put the link in because it's one of a series of a set of artworks for, um, okay, well, yeah, and I'm going to we'll blank on who it, who it's with, but it speaks to my fascination with going out into the world and traveling. It speaks to, I, I love the grand tours. So I have at different points in my life been an avid road cyclist and I love the Tour de France and the Giro d'Italia and the Vuelta. And um, also it's got spaceships. So what's not to love about that? And who is the artist of the other piece that's behind So you? that is by Maxwell McKinnon, my now seven-year-old son. And I'm confident that's some of his earlier work from his six-year-old period. That's great. We, we probably can't yet put a link to a series of Maxwell's artwork uh, on a web page, but we Scum will it. find that other link. Um, <laughs> and one day when Maxwell is a world famous painter, you can sell out um, to pay for your retirement. Um, uh, <laughs> Neil, this is a slight, we've done a slight uh, tangent here, but I, I guess the, the, before we move on from that period at the South Bank Centre, I want to just kind of slow down. So you, because you mentioned already that a part of your um a part of what was going through your mind as you were starting coaching was the things you'd been part of at early stages before. Yeah. Businesses uh, you mentioned, but there's another thing here that's not quite a business, but it sounds like it's something that you took to significant levels of success from scratch, from in fact, less than scratch, right? From nothing and an, and, and an idea with the facilitation of some magical sounding coaching to, you know, performances going around the world that wouldn't have otherwise gone around the world. So I, mm. I wonder if you look back on that, what is there, are there, is there a particular, you know, 
uh, what like you kind of mentioned it, that shift that you had to go through to, to make that successful or are there particular parts of it that you're really proud of? What else from that period stands out in this moment? I think there's answers immediately come up to both. So the shifts I needed to go through to make it successful were believing in what's possible and establishing a medium-term goal and tracking back to understand the steps necessary and getting into the work and, and, and tracking towards that with faith that a version of it will happen. It might not look, sound or feel exactly like the one that's been defined um, and and something will happen, change will happen uh, and, and things are possible with um, with that hard work and belief. I'd, I'd, um, I think I'd gone through a phase where I'd lost some of that and I'd had it earlier in my career. I think I'm proud about a number of things from that period. Um, I think the the one that stands out and indeed was the proof of concept that we used to set up the department in the first place um, was a live version of Kubrick's 1968 film 2001 a space odyssey and so southbank center and the british film institute worked together with the kubrick estate and the wonderful people that uh, look after his legacy to create a performance that was a um, screening of the original film but with all the music stripped out and instead performed by a 98-person symphony orchestra and a 64-voice choir. Synced exactly to how it would appear on the film. And anyone that knows the film may remember that it has some of the most iconic music in it from Thus Speaks Arathustra by Strauss, the, the, the famous um, kind of fifths coming in at the beginning and the again back to the space imagery the the um the sort of eclipse of um the planet and some of the most moving and profoundly unearthly and beautiful and terrifying choral music that's ever been written by ligeti and and indeed many other things in between and so over the course of the four and a half five years that i was running the touring commissions department we took that to many many cities and i had the opportunity to work on it when it was presented at the sydney opera house when it was presented at the hollywood bowl um at the um all over different parts of southeast asia europe um, america and it was just a really wonderful experience with what i still believe to be one of the great pieces of cinema cinematic art and one of the most extraordinary combinations of film and music that that we have um and it's it is 
for for many it's not an easy watch um it's it's a funny old film that asks a lot of the viewer and i kind of love that like i love that if you are willing to show up and give yourself over to it in the ways that it asks you to it is quite a profoundly moving experience um and so I'm delighted that something that we created, and I don't pretend for a moment that I was alone in this, there was a team of people that put the initial production together, um, has been seen by tens of thousands of people around the world. And that's really exciting. Um, I think the other one that I'll mention, and indeed part of the vision it was it was serving, was the artistic director of the South Bank Centre at the time, a woman named Jude Kelly, who indeed is also a previous guest on Creative Practice Podcast, um, had founded a festival called Women of the World, which um, celebrates women and girls and looks in an honest way at the challenges they face in society. And um, I was part of the team that supported that festival going out into the wider world. and, and supporting local um, groups of people to create the festival through a structure that was made by the um, the programming team of the festival, not least Domino Pateman, who uh, worked with Jude for many, many years on this festival. And indeed, that um, festival became so big it's what Jude went on to do when she left South Bank Centre she created a foundation and and that is her work in in um over these last years and has gone on from strength to strength and once again although um I was a, a part of the the team that was in a part of that journey it it was a real privilege to support the proliferation of that festival. And I feel, um, yeah, I feel proud that um, I was part of its story because I think it's gone on to impact the lives of many people in a positive way as regards awareness, education, um, and um, and platform of some important voices that have some really really profoundly important things to tell us about society at large and about ourselves. Um, yeah. 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 And you've just sent, you know, a bunch of listeners off to watch 2001 and also a bunch to Google women of the world for sure. Um, yeah. Thanks for sharing those. Neil. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. And what a beautiful thing to be a part of those things. And I just caught a, a little echo. I don't know if this is true for you, but it is for me, you know, that, getting to be a part like there's an echo of of the role of a coach right in the way Mm. you describe you kind of wanted you know you're proud of these things whilst knowing that they are not your thing yeah right because they can't be because almost nothing is one person's thing uh but those are great examples of that and yeah you should be proud to have been a part of those things i remember when i was living and working in london at claw leadership again actually um several members of our team doing some uh, mentoring on the London Eye as part of Women of the World. I, I don't know. Yeah. I think I think what happened was there was like mentors in each pod yeah. and then a bunch of, I think, like schoolgirls or young women from London just like piled in. Yeah. And you just get a sense, you know, it's like that was how dynamic it was really. And that was probably a few years in, I think. I can't remember exactly when it started. But yeah, you get that sense. And I, yeah, I've, I've kind of, a little from the side, seen it, seen it go on. And it's very, 
yeah, very cool to have been a part of those things. I, you know, mm. I love, I love that. I love those stories and, and how we can, you know, you'll always have been a part of those things now. And that's very cool. And that's what we get with our clients to some extent. Um, so Neil, you were doing this amazing work. I imagine at that time you weren't thinking, do you know what? I think I'm going to become a coach. So, so <laughs> I, I know that you did some, I know that you used coaching with your team as a leadership style at some point as part of this period at South Bank Center. How did that, was that what happened next or what happened? Did you carry on working with, with other coaches or, or how did coach, what role did coaching play in, in that phase and, and then beyond? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So around four years into the touring and commissions role, thereabouts, possibly slightly earlier, I learned of an opportunity that South Bank Centre were running along with the Royal Opera House and the National Theatre to go on a training course called coaching as a style of leadership and neil just and, out of interest what year was this roughly can you can you do that for me because it, it would have definitely been my old boss greg at the opera house who was driving it from that point of view and i wonder if i was there at the same time when was this yes so i was on that course with greg were you okay so yes. it's just okay you were so so people who are interested greg jauncey was was an hr manager hr and training manager at the royal opera house for a long time amazing guy um he now runs an arts hr consultancy um, which if you work in the arts, it's like, thank goodness, there's finally one because there was basically no one if you worked in a small arts organization, smaller than the Royal Opera House, pretty much, or, or the South Bank Centre that had an HR department and yeah. there was no one to ask. So it's amazing that Greg and, and Bendy and some of his colleagues do that. Right. So, uh, yeah, so it's just after that I met Greg when he'd, he'd just done his coaching training, I think. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure Greg was one of the participants of the course. Again, that may be a false memory because I know of Greg. And the wonderful work his HR consultancy do. And so I'm slightly checking myself yeah. there. No, it would have been around that time. Anyway, that doesn't matter. So yeah. you then, so, and, that, and this was with RD First. Who exactly right. Radio yes. listeners will have heard about on this podcast before, but but not that much. I think Sarah Fox might have trained with RD First. Definitely we've talked about them a bit on the on the show before. And um, yeah, I've tried to get a couple of them on the show in different ways at different times. And it just hasn't happened for various yeah. various reasons. But so you did the you did some training with with them but coaching as a leadership style yeah and what what i understand that course to be and and super happy to be corrected by anybody that knows better is a, a somewhat compressed version of their full leadership training uh, of their full coach training course so rd first set up by the amazing and um wonderful deb barnard's as I understand it, for many, many years, were the primary coach training provider for Clor and and the Clor Fellows, yeah, and therefore and also, very influential in arts and culture generally. Because without uh, question, and particularly because they were pretty much just working. I think it's advertised, or it used to be, for just cultural sector people. Although yes. I, I doubt they hold that that tightly. If somebody comes along and is very excited, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and RD First stands for um, Relational Dynamics, and their whole um, approach is coaching as a relational act, and um, and it was an extraordinary training. And indeed, there is a big part of me knew my arts career was in trouble after day one of that course because it landed so 
impactfully with me. I I I think one of the things I may have said to my wife following the first day was I haven't felt that alive in the office-based workspace for some time. There's something going on here. There's something really impactful. Um, and so um, to, to round up my earlier point, as I understand it, the Coaching as a Style of Leadership course is a slightly condensed version of their full coach training that many of the um, the Clore fellows go on. I don't remember exactly how many days, but it was it was comprehensive and rigorous, lots of coaching practice, and facilitated by two phenomenal coaches, one of whom introduced us initially or, or told me about you, and that's Claire Antrobus, um, or rather Dr. Claire Antrobus, um, and the other one is Isabel Mortimer, Izzy Mortimer, both uh, very active coaches in the cultural spaces and beyond, um, and they were the trainers on this course. Um, and not only did I have the benefit of their wisdom and the excellent material they offered, but also there was a approximately six or eight senior leaders from each of South Bank Centre. Royal Opera House and National Theatre. So people that had significant experience in the field formed the cohort. So there was an, a, a real quality learning environment of some fascinating um, people, uh, several of whom I'm still in touch with and and most of whom have gone on to do wonderful things in all sorts of different ways in, in leadership and indeed in coaching. Um, so I would say, and that was uh, 2018, I'd say that was my first proper coach training. I'd done bits and pieces since first working with Gaylene, but they'd been uh, an afternoon here um, or, you know, a couple of hours there. And they were, they were fine. But looking back, they weren't really scratching the surface. Yeah, you didn't go home and talk to your wife and say, something's happening. Here. Yeah. This is amazing. After. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And if you had to point to what it was now looking back that you that that happened on that first day that you were talking to Ingrid about at the end of the day, what 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 was it? I think I got an appreciation for well, on one level I got an appreciation for what Gaylene had done that had facilitated the change for me, which was employ very skillfully core coaching competencies and that there was a methodology that when met with someone who has a high degree of self-awareness and the capacity to leave their ego as far out the frame as it ever can be is profoundly potent in creating a space in which extraordinary work can happen in different um, ways and and um, sometimes in really quite short spaces of time. So I had that. I, I had two exemplars of quality coaching in Claire and Izzy. Um, so I, I remember various bits of demos and digging into clean language and, and these other things of how we 
how we can communicate with ourselves and others and how we can hold space and be true thought partners for others without necessarily having lots of information, but rather we can come at it from a first principles perspective and have a and, and facilitate a really powerful and effective intervention that can unlock all sorts of things for people. So the, the kind of those things and more happened relatively quickly and, and just a, a number of things that had probably been hovering or, you know, the, 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 the kind of Tetris blocks of awareness were just that one step out of alignment. Something clicked where it just kind of all dropped down a level into, oh, okay, this is meaningful. Yeah. yeah and just to reflect on a little bit of what you said there, my memories of Deb coaching, watching her coach, is that she was an, like, she is, I'm sure still, but when I watched her, which was getting on eight years ago or something now, um, an absolute master. I've never seen Claire, or, I've seen Isabel coach a little bit. Yeah, both amazing. I've watched Deb a few times. Absolute master at doing almost nothing. And yet magic happens. Like absolute magic. And, and certainly their training, the bits that I, I've sat in on some of their like half day and one day courses. And it's very clean. Yeah. And kind of, I I often think of it as a real reminder of how amazing that is like how little you have to do to do really amazing stuff speech marks how little you have to do right how little you have to say or how little you have to put into the conversation it's not not necessarily easy for all you know and you pointed to and when you're speaking about gaily and speaking now about like what what you have to bring for the magic to happen so then claire i think this almost connects us up doesn't it because then at some point in that you had a conversation with claire and claire said you, you maybe you should speak to Robbie. Is that right? Yeah. Like, what was the conversation you were having with Claire, and what was happening next for you at that point? Yeah, it's exactly that. Is by the end of the course, so it was um, over some months. I don't remember how many, and there was a, I think three or four touch points, and it was in the last section. I remember saying to Claire, "Look, something has really shifted for me here, and I'm interested in what it looks like to create a coaching business." And and I wonder what thoughts you might have. And I remember Claire being very um, generous with her um, her time on some suggestions of places I might look and, and talking through some questions I had. And also saying, there's this guy called Robbie Swell. And not only is he building a coaching business and by all accounts successfully, he's talking about it. So he's sharing some material online. So I'd propose that, you have a look and a listen to that. And so this was before the podcast, but you had been writing, I think there might have been a YouTube video or two. There have been some videos, yeah, for sure. And and yeah, various, various articles. Yeah. Yeah. And and crucially, she said, and I'm pretty confident that Robbie will have a chat. Um, he's he's uh, again, this word generosity. He he is <laughs> Yeah, um, there's a great the opening of your Neil's interview with me on creative practices is something like, so Robbie. Why are you so generous? Which is still a question I'm trying to answer, Neil. But yeah, there was this generosity there. Yeah, there was indeed. Yeah, and and so, um, I yeah, uh, I lurked around your content for a little while, having a read and having a listen, and um, and had this awareness that I might at some point put in a call to you as I began to to formulate things, 
Um, and 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 the thing shifted, and and what happened was things also shifted at South Bank Centre, and things also shifted for me internally. And so, in in fairly short order, I had a growing awareness, and it somewhat chimes with one of your earlier points. Um, but on a macro level, like I had invested a huge amount of me in the Touring and Commissions Department. And without any shadow of a doubt, it was not mine. And it was never going to be mine. And I could spend another 15 years doing it if um, the organisation allowed. And it was still not going to be mine. And I wanted to move towards something that was more mine. Again, it's this piece around setting up my own business. That shifted. There was a change in some of the um, senior staff at the time and an opportunity became available um, in the head of artistic rentals and partnerships role. So this was the role I had for the last two years at South Bank Centre. And personally, as, as a result of, frankly, getting married and seeking to buy our first property, um, get on the property ladder. Um, it was not the right time to strike out on my own, and and so I'd had this transformational experience, and I moved into my last role at South Bank Centre, and had a wonderful two years, and had a sidebar of coaching. Like I was seeing clients in my own time, um, pro bono, everything pro bono. Um, uh, you know, people one step removed from me, people that had been on the course and we were doing bits of co-coaching, but I was in the practice and, and the rate at which I was, um, reading about, uh, coaching, listening to whatever I could find podcast wise that was aligned to coaching. Cause at that time there wasn't a great deal. Um, as, as you've said, you know, part of the spark for you setting up the coach's journey and all the things. Um, so all that stuff was was beginning to happen and the energy was building. The more I was practicing, the more I was reading, the more I was paying attention to how else might I study, how I, how might I further my um, credentials, like start moving towards the first level of accreditation. In that two years, that was really gathering momentum. Yeah. And this was like 2018, 2019, 2020. Yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. exactly that yeah and so you know you then didn't train with rd first anymore i'm guessing partly because you'd kind of done their training that yeah. would have been one option yeah. when we were speaking i sent you i found in my emails i can't remember exactly what i said to you i would have said the same thing i was i would say to anybody probably still now which is like there's a load of choices do some investigation go to some open days here are some that i've heard good things about and then you decided to train with the academy of executive coaching which I would say is the most corporate of all sounding training organizations that you can <laughs> train as coaching with in the UK. And yeah, as again, regular listeners will know from, for example, my conversation with John Monks about training at the AOEC, it doesn't really sound like a very corporate training to do. So it's a, like a really interesting branding move um, from, from them. <laughs> they couldn't, like, could they... Is there any other adjectives that you could put in to make it sound more, 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 more corporate than that? Like I don't really know. But you weren't, but you weren't and aren't particularly a 
the kind of person that I imagine trains at the Academy of Executive Coaching, who definitely wears a suit, spent most of their like life in either like you know leadership role in an FMCG or some <laughs> other acronym. That I don't really know what it means. Or they've been a you know they've been a <laughs> been a consultant or the Big Five or something like that. Um, I think I don't think it's Big Five anymore, is it? I think one of them's bought another one. This is the accountancy firms, isn't it? Um, but so why did you choose the AOEC? It sounds like it, at that point, it was like, okay, I need to, there's another move happening here. Yeah. There's the pandemic happening. Yeah. I'm going to, that's catalyzing some of this, but although not all of it, because we've had all those reasons, maybe the, the property situation has got a bit easier two years in or whatever it is. Like what, what, what led you to, tr- to finally doing the training and to training with that organization? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, a great question. Um, and um like as I hear you repeat that back, I notice that actually the personal. I, I'm thinking back to an earlier part of my career because, of course, I've been I've been married for far longer than when I made that transition, and and indeed we bought bought a flat a few months after we got married. And actually, the personal thing that had um, shifted around me leaving the touring commissions department was I became a dad, and that's the thing that. Um, happened at that point um so just noticing my misremembering and having false memories and connecting gigantic life events to the wrong the wrong timeline only only all of us do that i think yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and only only me frequently um so i had an awareness that really early on that i didn't solely want to coach people in the creative industries I had understood from my training with Ardy first that the opportunity was to work far more broadly than that. And I've always been fascinated by, frankly, the vast majority of things. And indeed, one of the probable reasons that I migrated from being a professional musician was I was never willing to solely focus on that. I I was just interested in too many other things. And indeed, it's one of the reasons I think that I was so happy and fulfilled at Southbank Centre for such a long time because it is a multi-art centre that does so much more than the performing arts. There is a wonderful visual arts, visual arts gallery. You know, um, Jude, through her work, was doing extraordinary things in really investigating gigantic societal problems through the arts um, and, and all, all sorts of... Um, extraordinary things besides and so when I looked back at my career it looks and sounds fairly arts to anybody that doesn't work in the arts and I wanted to do a training that perhaps balanced that out so as you rightly said I have no experience in any of the big four or five I am not um I, you know I, I I'm only just able to tell you what the acronym um, FMCG means, fast moving consumer goods for anyone that could care less. And, uh, you know, all these many other things. And so it felt like an interesting organization is one piece. The second is I'd heard some good things from some uh, people I was aware of that I'd had chats to. I frankly can't remember who they were, but I'd heard they're held in high esteem for the training they provide. And 
partly doing what you suggested, I went along to the open day. And and it's interesting, the resonance with what I said about my experience of reading Gaylene's website. I didn't feel sold at. What I experienced at the time they were running in-person open events, what I experienced was a half day, as I remember it, of an organization sharing what's available and, and answering as many questions as they could giving a flavour of what I now understand to be the central um, experiential nature of all their courses, that it is not uh, a broadcast of information, but it's very much getting into the doing. Um, and, I, and I met some people. I met um, several of the members of the, the organisation who I got on really well with and vividly remember actively not being sold at um, by their um, head of consultancy and, and now also a faculty member, the wonderful Karen Smart, having a really honest conversation about, like, I'm looking to set up a business in coaching ultimately. You know, any thoughts for a, a, a naive um, person? And Karen, again, this generosity piece coming up and honesty, that um, it can be a hard way to make an easy living. Um, there may be riches out there for some and, and not for all and, and so forth. The other crucial piece is I heard two guest speakers um, who were graduates of the practitioner diploma, the flagship program, and indeed the one that I went on to take. And they happened to both be people with backgrounds in the performing arts through complete coincidence, because I've now worked with many hundreds of participants over the courses and indeed, there are some people from the performing arts, but there's loads of professional services firms, people and people in FMCG and indeed people from the NHS and corporate law and so on and so forth. And one of those people was the wonderful Paul Williamson from Ambassador Theatre Group. Um, and he spoke so beautifully about the impact coaching has had for him as a senior HR practitioner and within their organization at large, um, AOEC have had a long-standing partnership with them. And again, this generosity piece, I had the opportunity to talk to him after the event and we got on really well. And he said, look, if you have any more questions, let's have a cup of coffee. Um, and so when some Six to nine months later, I was looking at really committing to doing a program. I had another conversation with Paul, and um, he was extremely helpful in uh, with a coaching approach, as is so often his way, um, helping me explore what might be right for me. The other thing to say, in the interest of full transparency was barefoot was also a front runner and probably if i'm being honest it had come down to the two um and whilst i think they're an extraordinary organization um it 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 wasn't the right for one for me i was looking for something that was a little more business based the final thing i want to say and then i'll pause for breath is I had already understood, and indeed I'm at pains to explain to anyone interested in training with the Academy of 
executive coaching. The best the executive, kind, as I sometimes Yes, the you, best yeah. kind, as you frequently joke. Um, <laughs> the executive piece is around getting things done. It is not about inhabiting a C-suite office. And indeed, they bring in um, all the many things that support coaches working with people at all levels of seniority and all parts of their career. So um, that had become abundantly clear through my interactions with the company. And indeed, I believe in it even more fervently now as a part-time faculty member for the organisation over the last uh, couple of years. So I understood that although that's the name of it, and indeed there are... um, many people from the corporate world that come to train with them, it immediately moves into a considerably more human place when you are in their programs and gets to this ethan, this essence of authenticity, humanity, and um, seeking to serve another human being. Yeah, beautiful. And you've just referenced it there. You quite quickly became a faculty member at AOEC. How did that happen? And um, what's it been like? And are there any like parts of the training or like what have been the what have been the, like the best bits of becoming a faculty member for you as a human, if that makes sense? Yeah. And so on my practitioner diploma, which is the now six month flagship program to get to the point where you are accreditable by the three major accrediting bodies. There are many more, but the the program is triple accredited. So with the Association for Coaching, the European Mentoring and Coaching Council and the International Coaching Federation, once you successfully graduate from the diploma, you are able to um, accredit with uh, those if you have sufficient client hours. I got on well with one of the faculty members, um, a guy called uh, George Warren, and we continued conversations. And around six months after graduating, my memory was having a conversation with George, um, asking him more about his faculty role. Because Um, you were interested in it or or just out of, just because you're interested in everything? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's partly that. The other thing to say is, uh, and something we haven't touched on, so maybe um, useful to do briefly. In my very early career, as I was beginning to build up a um, presence as a professional musician and starting to get work, I worked with and indeed became a director of a wonderful education company called ABC Creative Music that is... um, run by two men that have had a profound influence uh, on my life personally and professionally called Phil and Tom Bancroft. They're twin brothers, they're jazz musicians. They are um, also both doctors and um, extraordinary human beings. And this company provided resources and training to teach non-specialist teachers how to teach improvisation to nursery and primary school teachers. And indeed, that's what they still do. 
and this the um the depth of understanding they have of making meaning through structures both well in all forms of language not least music and how we can work with people to facilitate their capacity to do things beyond what they believe are within their reach is extraordinary and so through that work i became really interested in teaching and particularly the type of teaching that is non-didactic that is facilitative and supports people to stay in a place of agency seeks to keep the cortisol levels low and gives them a framework in which they can operate and improvise um, to make meaning for themselves and others. And so my appreciation of George's explanation of what the faculty role was and my experience on the course very much resonated with the work of ABC Creative Music, albeit that the end product was different, but there were similar principles and philosophies at play. And I had had a profoundly impactful experience on the course. It, it genuinely had been magical. It genuinely had been transformational and hoped to stay close to the organisation in a way that was um, uh, mutually beneficial. And so George and I began exploring um, those questions and he, some months later, suggested I meet with Moira Halliday, who was then the director of programmes. And then we had several conversations about um, what opportunities might be available in the coming months. And then ultimately, yes, I was offered a role and given a significant onboarding period where I shadowed other members of faculty, did a huge amount of um, reading and uh, experimenting with, with the material and ultimately began delivering on both the coaching skills certificate and the practitioner diploma. So that was the route in. Um, and it was, it was, by all accounts, looking outside in quick. And what I've understood through doing the diploma and indeed through investigating some of the ways I've been working for a long time, um, indeed since late university, I think there's been lots of this stuff has been present in the way I operate in the world. And I think I was already, I was already considerably further ahead in my capacities than I thought I was at the time. Um, and so, although there was in those first few months when I was shadowing and learning an undeniably steep learning curve, um, the experience to come to the latter part of your question, the experience of delivering from them right from the off was one of um just genuine 
full embodiment of something that feels right and is both um, challenging in good ways, um, edifying and uh, energizing, and has has been enormously, enormously rewarding. Because one of the 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 real gifts of not only working as a facilitator in coach training, but of course as working as a coach, is that I get something from it every time. Like I learn and I grow and I'm I'm like I get to shine lights on the bits of me that are hiding in the darkness that I might need to attend to. And so um yeah, it's, it is sincerely a real privilege. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then that's only part though of what you do now. So that's yeah. a, a significant part, I imagine practically, um of time and and money and it's only part of it and so so bring us up to date for people who are listening like wh- where is your coaching work now outside of of the academy of executive coaching one to one work um work with entrepreneurs and founders what else how do you think about that work and and how does it look yeah so nominally the AOEC is 2 days a week and that ebbs and flows and the other 3 I largely work five days a week is um coaching one-to-one and and business development and so forth around that um as i said earlier i've sought not to focus on building a client base demographically within any particular industry and so i'm really interested in people um that inhabit a certain psychographic area and find myself particularly uh, helpful when people are ambitious, driven, committed, adventurous, um, interested in creation, creating things. And that doesn't need to be in the creative industries. And indeed, to your point about founders um, and entrepreneurs, um, some of the most creative people I've met, I do do some work with people in um higher and further education and all sorts of other people too um and so that is one-to-one and um yeah i'd say at any one time my practice probably has between 10 and 15 people in it um and and that continues to grow every quarter um slightly um yeah and it is the for me at least in this phase of my coaching business it is the core work um and ag- again very rewarding and um enriching yeah and and I noticed earlier on you, you a few times when you were talking about me, <laughs> uh, you used the word successful. And I noticed myself doing a little cringe, a tiny bit, as you called me uh, now, let alone me then successful, because I think that word holds a lot of charge for a lot of people, including for me. But certainly from the outside, from where I sit, I would say that you are absolutely, you have absolutely been successful in building a coaching business um, by the standards of most people who would look at the time frame from I appreciate, though, your kind of rejection of the premise of this, but if that you did a minute ago when it came to music. But if we if we think about the time frame from starting training to where we are now and what you've built, it 
to me certainly looks like the kind of thing that most people would would definitely take that you know mm-hmm. as they start their coaching training if i could if i could create what neil has created in what is it like i guess it's like three years ish as we as we record this people would take that i wonder what it feels like to hear me say that and also if you can give a because I know some, because we've had conversations in lots of different ways, including as me coaching you, um, I've got some inside knowledge of this, and I want to be careful with that. But if you could give people some idea of what that, people hearing you now, I think I won't be the only person thinking that. So I wonder if you could give some insight of what it's like to hear that, and also what is the inside of it actually like as for you as a coach right now? Does that make sense? It does, yeah, very much so. It also feels a bit awkward to hear, <laughs> and a little bit, Good, yeah, like, yeah. like a little, little bit of a, a kind of. I, I wanted to give you that back. Thanks uh, so yeah. much. <laughs> Very kind. Um, and I and I do think it is materially informed by the last, well, frankly, by the last forty or so years, and so one of the frames you just referenced our coaching and indeed um you are one of the coaches i have to thank for the whatever success there may be in the ongoing journey and one of the frames we came up with as part of a recent body of of um, coaching you did with me is and i'm I'm probably going to paraphrase it but essentially like i've been a curious human for 40 some years i've spent much of those really focusing on listening and being present to what's going or what's going on um and and sort of various other things um you know i started getting inside how one sets up a business about 25 years ago and indeed was financially liable as a director for other people's incomes in my early 20s um i i essentially was entrepreneurial at Southbank Centre and built a department that was turning over many hundreds of thousands of pounds by the time I left, that had sales at its centre in a relational way, um, that in some ways was providing a service in some ways. Um, One could argue it was a product. I had five years as a producer prior to that and two years as someone that was overseeing a multi-million pound budget. So have developed fairly sound um, practices in budgeting and financial forecasting. I My last employed role, which we haven't touched on, when I, when I left Southbank Centre pre-pandemic and was stepping into coaching, I ran a department at a um, at Intermusica, a very um, successful classical music agency, um, and, and sales was at the heart. And and um, and so, although I first charged somebody for coaching on the first of April, twenty twenty. Let me rephrase that. I first charged somebody money for coaching on the 1st of April, 2020. I was doing reciprocal coaching and and, and people are, of course, always, and never forget, if somebody is getting you for free, they're still investing their time. Um, you know, I had been actively coaching 
for um two years before that um and and i think all these things matter and i think all these things play a part and when i stepped out of the end of my uh one year maternity cover at intermusica my intention had been to make the majority of my living from consulting within the creative industries and and very specifically the performing arts and gradually build up a coaching business and what actually happened was i stepped into a landscape 6 7 months into the pandemic where there was no performing arts industry it was completely decimated nobody was on stage because nobody was congregating and so there was no consulting work because absolutely rightly so any that might have existed was being given to trusted established organizations at reduced prices because they were trying to keep their staff on or was being handed to people that had been recently made redundant by the organization that was handing it to them again rightly so and entirely understandably and so i stepped out of into musica and into the second training program the one with the aoc having done the rd first one uh two and a half years earlier and i needed to get going and quickly and build a coaching business that returned sufficient income that could sustain my financial responsibilities now i'm enormously lucky that i am married to a wonderful woman that has her own extraordinary career and indeed if you want to learn about more about her ingrid mckinnon is also i feel like this, this has been like though this practice. is just really just one way to plug your podcast isn't it yeah, but it yeah, is my favorite like i've listened to i haven't listened to all the episodes of, of your podcast but i've listened to a few and the one with ingrid is my favorite i think it beats the one with me i just love it's such an unlike unusual privilege to get to hear both an interview and a conversation between a husband and wife it really handled really beautifully definitely people should check that out but yeah. sorry you were saying you're lucky to have ingrid because yeah without question um and and so it's not what i'm not saying is that um the sole responsibility financially um, sits with me that is very much not the case um by a long shot and yet we seek to be equal in all things and so um i worked really hard and and you know as we've alluded to robbie and has um uh, done a coaching engagement with me and and knows there's a lot connected to that and and um not always uh, on the positive side but to some extent and i need i i don't want i need to bring ferris back in here and so i must reference one episode that is jerry seinfeld episode i'm wholly bought into seinfeld's belief that to become successful at anything it is in large part a tonnage game and in those first at date of recording two and three quarter years like i have done a ton of work and there are many elements of that i have sought consistently to not be in inverted commas salesy and i'm i believe i can say with confidence um i have stayed well away from um promising outcomes or being pushy in any way and and yet i have worked hard to build a um substantial practice through talking to a lot of people about what i do and and working with um 
I think somewhere in the region of now 130 clients in those years. And it, it you know, that I, I get from coaches I meet and know who've been at it for the same amount of time or longer is quite a high number. And and what I want to I guess be clear on in in sharing this is it hasn't come without a, a cost. It, it's um yeah, it has been a significant body of getting my head down and, and doing the work. Um and 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 leaning up occasionally and going is is what I'm doing effective? Am I doing the right things? Um, and and being really honest with myself about that. I'm working with some coaches to explore it. Um, and so, yeah, I think however I might define success um, has come from a combination of those things and and indeed support without question from my wife, not least. From other coaches um, and and colleagues from my course at the AOEC, others I've met along the road, um, and there's got to be a degree of luck in there too. Yeah, but I'm like you're not sure you believe in coincidences. Like I'm not sure that I, I this is the second time you've used the word luck, and I'm not sure I totally buy it in either case. Um, it's like a lot of, you know, like you said, 25 years of really practicing listening, you know, from music and onwards. 40 something years of being curious about the world. Like that's a lot of, that's a lot of tonnage of practicing <laughs> being curious. And there are a few, um, and listening. And there are a few attributes more important to success in coaching than curiosity and listening. Um, I want to slow down because you said something there. And I know some of this, I've, I've helped you do some of this thinking, but I'm sure you've taken it in different ways and, and think of it in different ways, in different moments. Either, you know, when you come up for air, from the hard work of building a coaching business and think, what, am I doing the right stuff? You know, or when someone who's training with you through AOEC says, Neil, what the hell do I do? Which I bet this happens all the time now. How do I, how do I, you know, find a hundred people to coach in my first three years or whatever it is? What do you say? Like, what are the things that as far as you can tell as a incredibly curious, interested person have helped you get your business to the point where you know, even if it, when, when does our business, when do our business ever make as much money as, as we'd like them to make? Right. Um, for all the people that have been on the show saying, uh, you know, who you said have, have look outwardly like successful people, I bet all, most of them would take an extra, you know, 10 grand or whatever. Um, yeah. What are the things that you think work for coaches in building a business? Yeah. So I think the first thing is, an awareness that it is a relational business. And by that, I mean, it happens in relationship with other people. And so it's important that one is spending at least some of their time investing in relationships. Um, and that is in all sorts of different ways. So I, I don't mean spending time solely with people that you believe might want to work with you as a coach, but rather um, starting with your network. And that's one of the first things that I, I say to anybody, um, because you've already got some relationship there. That very quickly leads into something that anyone familiar with your work, Bobby, will know um, you believe in around the um, prosperous coach 
approach. Now, it was you that recommended the book to me. And although I believe like you, and I may be putting words in your mouth, there are some bits of it that I find inconsistent. There are some bits of it that jar with me a little. I, like you, do believe and indeed have been supported in further clarifying my awareness and use of it through working with you, that there is a central repeatable process that will undeniably lead to your coaching business growing over time around connecting with people, inviting them into a coaching conversation, creating a meaningful experience, whatever that might be for them, and then where appropriate, and if it feels right, proposing doing some work together, if if that is what they, they came there for. And there's a great deal more um, to, to say about that. And indeed, you've said much of it, which, which, which resonates with me in other places. So I think that's another piece. The other bit is, is time. And so I think that's both the time it takes to, to do those things, to build relationships, to spend um, significant periods in the company of others where you converse about coaching and self-development and, and so forth. Um, the time it takes to build a referral pool through doing impactful work and people then going on to talk about you, the time it takes to build a reputation, particularly if you've had a significant portion of your career is doing something something else. I'm, I'm confident that there are people that know me somewhat well that still think I work in, in the performing arts as a, a producer or a, a manager. Um, so I think that is relevant. Um, and then I mean, there are other bits but uh, that, that definitely come on along um continuing education and and reading and and so on and so forth but i think the final big building block um again in the interest of pausing enough time to take in some air it is just do good coaching whenever wherever one gets the opportunity whenever wherever i don't know why i keep using the word one i get the opportunity to do some coaching like fully show up and i do some coaching that pays me well and i do some pro bono coaching and they get the same level of commitment presence energy and attendance in in either case without question otherwise what am i doing um, and I think, if anything, actually, that is that is the thing that's going to spin that flywheel faster of not only moving around the connect, invite, create, propose, but also in building a referral pool, in having clients that have had an impactful experience, in generating testimonials, in building a brand, um, is when you get the opportunity to step into the hallow ground of coaching, show up. Beautifully said, Neil. And what a yeah, what a what a way to basically bring the conversation to an end, I think. We're almost at time. It's flown by. I feel like I had a whole list of questions. Um it was a great one actually that both Ingrid 
in one of the prompts that I gave you and one of the members of the Coach Journey community, Alex Witten, um, asked about music and how that built into the coaching business. And I mean, I don't think we've quite got time to do it, but I, it's like we've covered it in some ways. Lots of other areas we could have dealt into more. Um, and like you said, there's so much more we could say about the last, you know, three minutes or five minutes of what you've just said that, you know, each of those things we could slow right down on. But instead, to finish, I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions. And right. this time, they do have to be quick fire answers. Um, All right, Neil, because we haven't got much time left. So um, the people who are people who, unlike me and Neil, aren't regular listeners to the Tim Ferriss show. These are some of Tim's questions. So first of all, Neil, um, if you could put something on a metaphorical billboard that would be seen by millions or billions of people, what would you put on it? Ooh. The thing that immediately came up was it's up to you. Lovely. Especially given what you've just said, right? You've just described for coaches, you've just described four things that people can basically do, you know, three, four, five. I, I, I wasn't keeping count, but you know, sh every time you're coaching, coach the, as though you're being paid, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, being paid the most you could possibly be coaching. Mm. Coach like that every time you ever get yeah. a chance. Like that's completely within the power of a, of an individual human. It's up to you. Amazing. And um, what purchase of, a hundred dollars, I guess that's like 80 pounds or less that you've made in the last six, 12 months has, has made a big impact. Oh, that's a good one. Well, there's, there's sort of two things that are right beside me that definitely cost less than a hundred dollars that make a big impact to me. I'm going to show you them both. So this, I've, I've admired, um, there's many things about Ingrid I admire. One <laughs> of them is she had a, a Chili's water bottle um, for years. And I just guess every day I think that's a great water bottle. And I, and I kept saying, I'm just, finally, like she does with many things, she turns and says, well, just do something about it then. Buy it's it. up to you, Neil. It, exactly. You've just yeah. given us Ingrid's. Ingrid's so that's one. And the you. second one, I didn't buy it. It was Ingrid that bought it, but I keep it on my desk, is this. It's a really hard exercise bowl. Now, there are periods of my life that I've lived 90% north of the neck, and I use this sometimes between sessions or just in a break in the day to roll out the, the bottom of my feet just to bring my energy back down into my body no idea i mean it can't it's like it's like tennis ball sized or something it's a bit, tennis a ball size but it's it? it's it's really like hard. a um what's it called squash ball like it's super hard and just to roll the fascia out in the bottom of my feet and it just brings my energy back down into my body wow if people did that before every coaching session that yeah. would change your coaching right that'd be an amazing thing to do um Let's do one more. So many good ones. When you think of the word successful, given we had this conversation earlier on, who comes to mind? I mean, yeah, Tim Ferriss. Like, I, I, I mean, the the gift he has given to so many through the access he grants in his podcast, the work that he is doing on treatment-resistant depression, a subject enormously close to my heart through his foundation, through the SISA Foundation, his writing. Um, the one bit where I sort of hold back a little is I don't know. I don't know anything about his personal life. And and so like I I you know my definition of success it, it, 
family and personal life is enormously important and and having space for that and so um why I should know anything about Tim Ferriss's personal life, I don't have the faintest idea. Because he's very generous. So actually, I you, yeah. you know, you do kind of know. I heard one recently who was talking about being coached by somebody, actually. There's a cool one with a coach whose name I've forgotten. And they're talking about relationship. They're talking about exactly that. Yeah. So it sounds like a tricky time for him. But, you know, yeah. we talked about this a bit on the episode with all the hosts, didn't we? Being yeah, parasocial yeah. and having that yeah. relationship. But no, I get that. I get that Tim Ferriss, it feels to me like he holds a lot of, I, can't, I, I know why you said it, and I know why I would say it, and probably similar reasons. And it does feel like he holds a lot of what's important to you. He's managed managing to do that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I, I making a contribution, making a real contribution, and um, like he is a man who has understood at various points in his life that it is up to him, and he has 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 brought things into his locus of control. I'm profoundly. Um, energized and impacted by people that are willing to do that that are willing to because i think one of the the key things for me and how hopefully i come across and why someone like miles downey resonates so deeply is like coaching is not woolly and fluffy as jerry colonna beautifully puts it in an explanation of the type of coaching he does like if i'm going to paraphrase here if you step if you're willing to step deep into the cave of yourself, past the bear and into the real darkness and find out what's there for you, what gold is available and bring that out into the light in amongst all your shadow and have the courage to do that, then that is the work. And I believe enormously in the capacity each of us have to bring things into our locus of control through doing the necessary and hard things. Um, and I think Tim Ferriss is a, a profound example of it. The things that he has experienced in all different parts of his life in different ways. Um, and, and, and stepping into his power and using it for good. Um, you know, I, uh, clearly I'm a, a massive fan and some might argue he comes from a place of real privilege. And, and I, I don't deny that in many ways, not least as a, a, a white man, white educated man myself. And yet I, I do believe he has consistently sought to do the necessary things, the important things to be able to give of his gifts to the world in a meaningful way. And I think, Neil, like as is so often the case, one of the reasons that question is so good, right, is because it invites us to to really explain what we admire about somebody. And there's lots of ways in which what you've just said about Tim, I think could be said about you. Um, this has been an absolute pleasure to dive into your story. Like I said, we could have, we could have gone in so many more directions as we had. I'm, I'm super excited that you're going to be hosting episodes of this show, bringing that curiosity to, to some amazing guests. Um, but most of all, just thanks for your energy today. It's been a real pleasure and it's, incumbent on me to also thank you for the opportunity um, to take something that you've made and be part of its ongoing journey and also for the support that you've shown me over these last few years as I've got to whatever level of success I might have had um, it's been in part at least thanks to your support so thank you yeah I'll enjoy that just like you can enjoy women of the world going on to new <laughs> new new things no i really mean that so yeah neil thanks so much it's been a total pleasure thank you 
Hello, Robbie here again. A couple of quick things before you go on to whatever else you've got going on in the rest of your day. Uh, and that is, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then you might be interested in becoming a supporter of the Coach's Journey podcast or joining the Coach's Journey community. Both of those are ways to support the show, help it continue, help it reach more and more people, but they also give you other things that you might be interested in. If you become a supporter, which is paying a small amount of money every month, then you'll get advanced notice of guests, perhaps the chance to ask questions of guests, um, depending on what membership level you have, and and more monthly video updates from me, all kinds of other bits and pieces. And if you join the Coach's Journey community, then you get all of that, plus you get to be part of a group coaching program led by me um, and attend group coaching calls up to 10 times a year, have one-on-one coaching with me and be part of a community of coaches who want to create thriving coaching businesses and thrive as people while they do it. And um, one of the members said recently that the word that keeps coming up in the members WhatsApp group is beautiful to describe those calls. And so um, I'd love to have you there on one of those calls. Um, and as a member of the community or a supporter of the show, it would mean the world to me and it helped me to keep doing this thing that I love to do and that many, many people have told me is really helpful for them. So thanks very much for listening and hope to have you back with us on the Coach's Journey podcast sometime soon.